Welcome to the Fulfilled Podcast. The podcast designed to spark fundraising inspiration for your nonprofit through thought-provoking interviews with world-leading fundraising experts. Fulfilled brings a unique interview style approach where we ask the most important questions of our expert guests to help nonprofits excel in their fundraising efforts. Feel inspired and feel fulfilled with knowledge so your nonprofit can continue to make a positive impact and create change for a better world. Hi everyone, Jake here from Fulfilled. Today I'm very excited to be joined by Summer Brock, a CFRE and the founder of No Sense Fundraising and the Vice President of Development for the Pontiac Community Foundation in Michigan, USA. Since 2004, Summer has secured more than $10 million for various nonprofits in the southeast area of Michigan by improving fundraising efficiencies and streamlining processes. Summer also serves as the President of the Greater Detroit Chapter for the AF and was previously the chair of the National Philanthropy Day Committee. Summer, welcome. Thanks, Jake. Pleasure to be here. Uh, it's lovely to have you here. So to get started, uh, tell us about the beginning of your fundraising career. What were some key lessons you learned in those early years? Wow. You know, it was so long ago um, when I got started fundraising. Um, you know, lots of professionals that I talk to these days have you know, certificates in fundraising and special courses and coursework at university um, levels that prepare them for work in nonprofit. But way back in the day, there were no programs like that. <laughs> so um, I, I sort of um, ended up fundraising by accident, which I think a lot of people in my era um, have come to know that accidental fundraiser. I guess one of the most important lessons that I learned early on was that um, you needed to be fundraising for an organization whose mission you closely aligned with. Um, that was a hard lesson for me because I started my fundraising career at a organization called um, the Jewish Academy of Metropolitan Detroit. And um, I worked there for several years um, when I finally realized that I was never going to be director of development for that organization because I wasn't Jewish. Um, so <laughs> there is some um, importance to being very closely aligned um, with the organizations that you work for so that the, um, the people that you're fundraising from can sort of see um, themselves in you. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. And when reflecting as well, what stands out as one of the greatest learnings from a mistake that you've made in the past while working in fundraising? I think also um, one of the greatest learnings I had probably occurred during those early stages in my career um, way back um, during those days. I remember commenting on um, the odd amount of um, someone's donation. Um, and this is a lesson, I guess, that um, I learned then and I've taken um, with me since then and um, used it in other, in other circumstances. But um, in um, Jewish culture, the number 18 is very significant. So um, I was questioning this dollar amount of a donation that someone was making because it had like dollars and cents. And, and, and I was like, well, why wouldn't you just, you know, round that up to, you know, 375 or whatever the dollar amount was. And um, come to find out the dollar amount that was being donated was very significant to the person who was giving it. And uh, my boss at the time sort of pulled me to the side and she's like, 
you know, don't ever do that. You know, and she explained um, to me the significance of um, the number 18 to, to that culture. But um, moving forward, um, I think it's also important um, not to discriminate or place judgment um, based on the size of a donation that you receive um, from anyone. So I think sort of what I took from that, um, the lesson I learned is to be grateful for each and every contribution that you receive um, in this work that we do and not ever to place any judgment um, about that gift. Yeah, great. And uh, fast forward to today, uh, you're the founder of your consultancy, No Nonsense Fundraising, and you're the vice president of development for the Pontiac Community Foundation in Michigan. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you face as a fundraising consultant to your nonprofit clients? So when I started um, my nonprofit consultancy, um, it was truly out of a desire to want to help level the playing field for small nonprofits. In fact, before I even um, launched a, an actual LLC, I was just extending offers to nonprofits like, hey, I can help you. <laughs> can we um, have a meeting and perhaps I can help you streamline some things and improve some efficiencies? And, you know, people would, um, you know, engage, but then they would skip meetings and they didn't place a lot of value um, in what I was offering. So that was probably the one of the first early lessons um, that I learned is that um, for some reason, people place more value in things that they pay for <laughs> um, than things that they can actually get for free. So I realized that I couldn't give away my services, that I did, to, did have to place some value on it um, just so that people would take me seriously. Um, so that was an important lesson. And also, um, I think it's, um, you know, grassroots nonprofits and very small nonprofits um, often just have severe disadvantages to, uh, you know, their, their counterparts. So, um, you know, they can't afford to hire a dedicated fundraiser, or if they do, um, it's not a fundraiser who has the skill set to be able to um, take them to the next level. Um, there's always competition for, you know, time and, and energy with whatever effort it is you're pursuing. So um, my, um, the whole goal of my nonprofit consultancy has been to sort of help those small nonprofits um, raise more money and do it more efficient, efficiently. So. Yeah, that sounds great. And where do you see fundraising teams or fundraisers, all the small uh, nonprofits that you work with who can't afford a fundraiser, where are they often missing opportunities to maximize their fundraising efforts? So what I see a lot um, in those small nonprofits is a heavy focus on um, grant-based fundraising. So they're really missing an opportunity to, um, to engage individuals, which we know is where most of the bulk of fundraising dollars is coming from. And not only that, they're missing an opportunity to engage the communities in which they serve um, in uh, the work that they do. Um, a lot of times you see, um, the smaller organizations being so focused on grants, they don't do any individual fundraising. Um, so fast forward 15 years later, now you're, you want a new building and you want to do a capital campaign and you've been relying on grant funding for the last 15 years. And now your eyes are wide open to why you should have been engaging individuals all along. Um, so um, that's one of the opportunities I see them miss all the time is um, sort of not working with individuals um, from the onset. 
And you put a lot of emphasis on fundraising systems and processes. Please explain why this is so important to have in place. Well, I think it's um, particularly important for smaller nonprofits because they're often really small shops, right? It's usually just one person, if that, um, in charge of fundraising, or it's uh, a half a person <laughs> that's managing a fundraising efforts. So, you know, having um, efficient processes in place really helps you um, be a better fundraiser, be, um, you know, more attentive to your donors. Uh, one example I have is, you know, just using um, your database, right, to set up uh, reminders and touch points, um, contacts with your um, with your supporters that it's hard to manage without a database or it's hard to manage without sort of setting up those processes in your database to where it happens seamlessly. So what important fundraising metrics should nonprofits be consistently measuring, do you think? Donor retention rate. You know, it's funny that um, I just, um, one of the organizations I serve on the board for, um, I partnered with the director of development to give a short little presentation on um, stewardship and how important that is to um, the work that we do. And um, there's this sort of hamster wheel of, oh, we need new donors. I think we hear this a lot. Organizations always say, "We we need new donors and they're really event heavy. They like to do a lot of events and they engage with a lot of new people through those events. But then three months later, oh, we're doing another event. And I'm like, what happened to those donors we got last time? So um, not having a a real focus on stewardship, of course, um, makes the donor retention rate not be very um, high. I mean, it's already, what, 45% industry average. So um, that's a lot of donors to be losing every year. So um, an effort to focus on donor retention rate is just help, it will help nonprofits hand over fits. You don't really have a new donor problem. You have a problem retaining the donors you already have. And it's so much more expensive to acquire a new donor than it is to keep a donor that you already have. So um, that metric, donor retention, if you could just focus on stewardship strategies to improve donor retention, hand over fists. Um, what are some simple tips that you could advise for small nonprofits to be better at donor retention? Be grateful and thankful. And, you know, when I say stewardship, I think people confuse stewardship with thanking, right? Um, I, I sent a thank you letter or I said thank you, so I've done the stewardship. No, you haven't. Stewardship is something that the donor actually feels, right? I can say thank you a, a million times, but until I feel thanked, <laughs> I haven't been stewarded. So that's, I think, important for uh, fundraisers to keep in mind is that delivering of impact, making the donor the hero of the story, and also thanking is all part of the stewardship process. Um, And that's all important. And I feel like telling uh, fundraisers to uh, almost stop watching this now and go and apply it before asking this next question, but we've got to keep things moving along. But what important trends or new channels should fundraisers be aware of to engage or attract new donors? You know, um, one that I'd like to lift up right now is crowdfunding. I can't say that crowdfunding is new. Um, I feel like it's gained popularity um, over the last few years, but I like to lift it up for a couple of reasons. Um, One, because I think it's a great mechanism to get new supporters, 
right? Um, it's um, known for collecting small contributions from the masses, right? So that in itself is expanding the typical uh, person we consider a donor, right? The typical prospect that we're even trying to engage with to get a contribution is that net is widened. And then crowdfunding typically engages, um, is known to engage, um, like I said, non-traditional donor groups. So think minorities, um, younger people. Um, these are all areas where I feel like nonprofits could do a better job in, um, in engaging those constituent groups or those donor groups. Um, I think we have this sort of blanket assumption that people don't donate, right? Black people don't donate, millennials don't donate. No, the problem is you don't know how to engage donors from that demographic. So in your mind, they just don't give. So um, crowdfunding, I believe, is great for all of those uh, reasons. And this next question could be related to crowdfunding. You can feel free to answer it um, in a different way. But uh, what would you say are important steps to go through in the planning phases of an upcoming appeal? Well, for me, um, one of the most important steps, I, I believe, is um, developing a prospect list and sort of going through the whole pro um, process of rating your prospects and developing a gift table based on the amount of money that you are aiming to raise. You know, a lot of times fundraising goals and budgets are just handed down, right? Oh, we need $400,000 for this project, or that's the gap. So that's the fundraising goal without a real conversation with the fundraiser about what they think they can raise, right? So um, a perfect example is you might have an idea that you need to raise $500,000, but when your fundraiser looks at your prospects and figures out from your ratings how many prospects you have at each giving level, and then you can just do the math, right? Uh, fundraising in a, in a lot of ways is a game of numbers, right? Not every person you ask for a gift is going to give. There is some ratio at which you need to have prospects um, at a certain level in order to be able to secure a number of gifts at that level. So it's easy for me to look at our prospect list, look at our gift levels that we've rated those prospects at, look at my campaign goal and the number of gifts at each level that I need to secure, and determine if I have enough prospects to reach that goal. And a lot of times it's an eye-opening <laughs> experience to do this because you are hit with evidence that we might not reach this goal or maybe our prospect base um, or list isn't deep enough for us to reach this goal. So it's those types of um, things that I think are really important at the onset of any campaign. And uh, yeah, a huge problem indeed. I think the expectations are often uh, very high. But uh, in an age of COVID-19, I mean, nonprofits have had to innovate and pivot their traditional ways of fundraising. Can you share an example of a nonprofit who you've seen innovate during these times and why you think they've been successful in their approach? You know, there's been so many things to come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. I think there's so many things that... Um, have been highlighted, um, sort of, um, I guess, brought into even more light. And I think some of those things are um, access, um, I think is a very important one. And I'm seeing um, nonprofits across the board um, saying that with the shift to virtual programming or virtual events, they've been able to increase access. People who live out of the country or far and wide have been able to tune in to their virtual events. 
um, they've been able to reach um, people and serve them um, in far um, reaching areas that they've never been able to, um, you know, reach or serve anyone before. So um, I think that that's the one takeaway that I'm hearing and seeing from several nonprofits is that the increased access with this virtual or even a hybrid format is so great that they can't see themselves going back to in-person, um, just only in-person. Um, I think most people will see some sort of hybrid moving forward. And um, I think that's what I'm seeing from the most creative organizations, those who have um, continued to be successful during the pandemic, have found ways to um, sort of take advantage of that increased access. And you've recently taken up the role of Vice President of Development for the Pontiac Community Foundation in Michigan, um, which sounds like a great role. So well done to you. Um, so please ex- please explain what your new role entails and what has been key to the success of the organization's fundraising efforts to date? Well, I've been there almost 30 days to the day. <laughs> I started, my first day was May 3rd. Um, but, um, you know, our organization is um, is brand new. It's been around for three years, not very long at all. And um, the goal is to build a brighter future for um, the city of Pontiac. Um, this um, community suburb of, of Detroit, um, has about 60,000 residents. Um, It's a low-income community and um, has experienced um, all types of um, devastation from, um, you know, different financial crises over the years. Um, And right now, we're really just seeing some some real um, urgency around um, revitalization of the city. And so the Pontiac Community Foundation Our goal is to um, work under the focus areas of economic vitality, um, community development, civic engagement, and health disparities, racial health disparities to help improve the quality of life for Pontiac residents. Um, There's a lot of disparate data and (laughs) statistics I could throw your way, but I'm not gonna do that. Um, But my role at the organization is um, as vice president of development is of course to um, sort of professionalize our fundraising efforts. Um, the organization has been very successful in the initial three years um, in fundraising, um, but that's, um, I can't take any credit for that. Um, I think it's really, uh, it was the right organization at the right time. Um, there were already funders, I feel like chomping at the bit to support um, this community that is sort of on the on the way back. Um, and we um, are just lucky to be able to provide an avenue for all of those people that want to make an impact in Pontiac to be able to do so. So um, that's part of um, our early success has been really, um, you know, there's been some silver linings to the COVID-19 pandemic and it gave us a, a focus to, we started a whole platform. Um, it was a COVID-19 response where community members could sign up for food deliveries and all, it was volunteer engagement, a huge collaboration effort for um, several nonprofits um, serving the communities, the people here in Pontiac. So collaboration is really key in the work that we do, um, sort of lifting up um, and supporting the organizations that are already on the ground doing the work here in Pontiac. So yeah, we just have a different model. It's sort of community focused, really um, sort of uplifting of the other organizations that are here. 
um, and with a real effort towards um, trying to tackle some of those pressing issues that are leading to um, you know, disparities in quality of life and things like that for Pontiac residents. So I feel very lucky um, to be in this role. Um, you know, there's a lot of fundraising um, that falls under my belt, but of course, um, being brand new at an organization that didn't even have a donor database, um, they, I've certainly got my work cut out for me <laughs> with um, just setting up, um, you know, the back end things and then continuing to build relationships and um, continue our fundraising efforts. So, yeah. Sounds like you got your work cut out for you. So I didn't realize it was only still the first 30 days. It's, it sounds like a very exciting times for you. But I mean, yeah, it sounds, it sounds like you could really start targeting anything within the role. But what are some short term goals that you're looking to achieve? Well, uh, I think high on my priority list is getting our uh, donor database set up. Um, in the process of that right now, we've selected a platform, so excited. Um, also, short-term um, goal is uh, we're doing a uh, park redevelopment project. Um, the fundraising goal is around $300,000, so we have some prospects, and I'm making meetings and <laughs> reaching out to people and sharing um, some information about the work that we're doing. So this is um, sort of a, it's, it's a little tricky because I'm so brand new at the organization. So um, in meeting with the founder, he's like, oh, you know, there might be some people here who, you know, might be ready for an ask. And so my, um, my retort is they might be ready for an ask from you, um, but not from me because it takes some time to build those relationships. So, um, so certainly um, on the road to building those relationships, um, it's um, been very um, heartwarming. Um, I guess the uh, outreach that I'm receiving from our supporters, um, I'm reaching out for meetings and people are happy um, to meet with me. So looking forward to just um, what the future brings and continuing to build on our successes. I actually had a couple of questions that stemmed off this. And the first one's around, what's the process of creating processes. So you've just mentioned that you've um, you've got a system in place because they haven't had a database. There'll be many nonprofits who are going who who are in a similar situation of they've got probably an Excel spreadsheet or whatever it might be of donor information, but it's not in a system. I mean, why have a system? I, I you're probably a really good person to ask. And why and what's the how do you begin to implement this into your organization? Well, you have to have one because fundraising is a relationship-based, it's a, it's a game of relationships. And part of building those relationships is knowing what your next steps are with donors, knowing the most up-to-date information about them, and keeping track of that information and communicating with them. So the database helps you um, maintain um, good records um, as far as their demographics. It, it allows you to keep track of their giving history, which is extremely important when building a relationship with a donor uh, that's based on their contributions to your organization. Um, so you just need it. I mean, I just I, it's hard for me to work without it. I think that's part of um, where I've been struggling is that I have this Excel spreadsheet right now. Um, and I've been already setting meetings, so it's like, okay, let me add a, a field that says meeting date. And I'm, I mean, it's a convoluted way to sort of manage the data to me, and it's, um, 
it's really slows down processes and, and slows down work for me. But like um, a process for me um, is, um, let me see, uh, I guess something important would be like stewardship plans, for example. Um, you know, different donors who might, or different prospects who engage with your organization may have different entry points. And there may be different goals with different people depending on how they come in contact with your organization. So of course, um, there needs to be a stewardship track for first time donors. Um, you should probably have a stewardship track for, you know, um, recurring donors or whatever the case may be. So for me, um, part of sort of setting up our processes is figuring out what that um, communication schedule and stewardship plan is going to be for a first time donor or maybe a new subscriber, someone who enters their email address on our website and wants to learn more information about the organization. See, I wanna focus on major gifts, <laughs> but I know that building this small individual donor base is what's gonna allow me to do that successfully, right? So it needs, that part needs to be running like a well-oiled machine so that I can focus on major gifts. So having a, um, a stewardship plan that's like almost automated with a first-time donor, like, oh, thank you so much for your first-time gift. It's, or maybe they've increased their gift. Um, you know, different touch points that help your donors know that you know who they are, and then delivering impact about the gifts that they've made, help keep them engaged. And again, donor retention is one of my <laughs> biggest metrics. So I'm always gonna be focused on getting the donor to give again and getting them to increase their support and sort of getting them more and more connected to our mission uh, in hopes of um, building a successful major gift program and the other question i did have around was making me ask um you said they'll trust the ceo at this point but not necessarily yourself um so where do you see your role in this are you going to prime the ceo and get him or her ready for to make the ask or yourself you know um i think that meeting with our um, our prospects and our donors is very important um, and I think part of what I left out um, about how um, how I came into this role is that I previously served as a member of the board of directors for this organization. So um, I already have pre-existing relationships with the board, for example, right? I was part of their peer group for many years before I, I took this position. So it wouldn't be a huge step right for me to have a conversation with the board member and talk to them about making a gift because i already have a relationship i also feel like the ceo and the found the founder has done such a great job um, sort of building support for the organization over these years um, that um, there are there are a lot of people who i i feel like are eager eager to support so i believe that simply by me meeting with you hear my son is like so loud in the background. <laughs> but um, I think there's a lot of people who are eager to um, support the work that we're doing. So I, I can quite honestly see myself meeting with people, you know, introducing myself, letting them know about the work that we're doing and people will be making gifts. I feel like gifts will come, but it won't be from me making an ask, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, people want to see the CEO and people at the forefront, the, the head influencer of the organization. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, I, I definitely will, um, there will be some easy wins, but um, I'm talking, you know, major gift, really, you know, high level gifts that come out of relationship 
building. Um, you know, I don't think I'm going to see any of those um, in the <laughs> in the next 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, something to work towards anyway, but it sounds very exciting. And um, yeah, all the best for it. And I look forward to seeing from the sidelines how it all pans out. Um, but you're also a CFRE. You're a board member, as you've just touched on. Um, and you're the president of the Greater Detroit Chapter for the AFP. How have these outside commitments helped develop you as a fundraiser? Oh, I think they've played, um, you know, I've always been a, a good student, you know, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, I've always been a, one to pick up a book and and read it and try to figure out what's new. So, I've always been one to sort of want to stay on top of what's new and fresh and, and fundraising. But where, where I can say AFP and um, credentials like the CFRE have really been helpful for me um, in sort of um, validating um, what I already know about my skill set. Um, being a Black woman in this fundraising profession, um, sometimes my opportunities are often limited. You know, um, in addition to um, being president of a AFP and maintaining the CFRE credential, um, last year, last October, um, I graduated from Oakland University with a certificate in nonprofit management. And um, one of my colleagues, he was like, Summer, you could have probably taught those courses that were offered in that certificate for management, uh, for nonprofit management courses. You know, she's, she's like, why did you, you know, sign up for that? And I actually won a scholarship um, to participate in the program. So I didn't have to pay for anything. But again, it's that need for validation that um, often my skill set is overlooked. Um, so having these types of credentials um, to support the work and the knowledge that I already know I have uh, helped me elevate my career. Um, they probably helped me in securing this position as vice president of development um, for Pontiac Community Foundation. So um, I think they've been helpful in that way. Um, also, um, I think I developed a great network for my many years of involvement with AFP. Um, I say all the time that I, if I was to ever lose my job, I probably wouldn't be unemployed for long because I have such an extensive network. Um, so that's one benefit I would definitely say AFP brings. I was going to ask around the nonprofit management. What what was your key takeaways from doing that course? Uh, that it's very hard to cram everything you need to know about managing a nonprofit into a year-long course. <laughs> you know, um, and I also think I learned that I really enjoy fundraising. I don't enjoy all the other things about managing a nonprofit. <laughs> so I'm going to stick to stick to what I love, um, and that's the fundraising part. No, that, yeah, that sounds fair enough. And what's generally your advice to aspiring fundraising leaders to ensure that they have a successful career? You got to put yourself out there. You know, align yourself with organizations that you can connect to their mission. Um, it is very hard to authentically fundraise when you don't have a real connection to the mission. And it's hard to like your job when you don't have a real connection. Um, so, um, so I think that's number one, very important. Um, and then consider if fundraising is really what you want to do. Um, there's a lot of other things you could do in the nonprofit space. 
Um, and I think it takes a very special person to be a fundraiser um, and that you really have to enjoy learning about people and building those relationships. And that if you don't, um, I think that you, you won't see a lot of success um, in your career. Um, so that's very important. So when you reflect on your career so far, what stands out as one of your most successful campaigns or um, appeals or whatever it may be that you're a part of and what went into making it a success? You know, um, before I came on board at um, Pontiac Unity Foundation, I worked for um, a program at Cranbrook called um, Horizons Upward Bound. And I had the opportunity to... um, to work on a campaign in honor of the 55th anniversary of that program where um, I was able to surpass a fundraising goal. I think the goal was $400,000. I think we ended up raising $485,000 for endowment for the program. And I think it was special for me um, because one, um, I'm an alum of the program that I was actually fundraising for. So, the connection that I had to it, um, the benefit that I knew it would provide um, for students coming in um, was important to me. So um, it also was um, probably the first time in my career where um, I was really able to um, to build relationships with donors. Um, before then, um, I had focused mainly on annual gifts, um, you know, other in other capacities I worked at nonprofits, but was the first time I was really, really um, able to um, really focus on building relationships with donors. And um, it was a great, great experience. Um, And there were some people, um, you know, there's a lot of alum who participate in the program. It's more than 55 years old. Um, And there were some alum from the 70s who had never, you know, made a gift to the organization. And through, you know, working with me and being, you know, engaged um, in the communications I was sending and the impact reporting that I was doing, um, you know, made their very first major gift to the program. So that was um, very special to me to be able to sort of walk someone all the way through that process of never, you know, supporting um, the organization at at any high level to being able to make um, their very first major gift to a nonprofit ever um, was just a special process for me. So Wow. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Very exciting to be part of. And what are you next striving for in your career? You know, I want to be chilling on the beach, Jake, is what my, my end goal <laughs> is that. You know, um, I, I want to be able to, to do the things that I enjoy the most um, in fundraising. And I think when it comes to the consulting work that I do, um, I really get to do the things that I enjoy. Um, And that's sort of helping other nonprofits and other fundraisers be the best that they can be. So um, I think that I'll probably work for a number of of years for nonprofits, um, you know, moving forward, but I'm hoping that one day um, I'm able to retire from being a professional fundraiser. and that I'm able to offer my expertise through webinars and blogs and, you know, speaking engagements, um, things like that, um, while I'm chilling on the beach. (laughs) 
It seems like we have a, we're striving for the same thing, the beach. It's one of those things. I think we need to have a planning session about how this can be achieved. That's all I want to do. Just follow it around. Just chase the sun all year round sounds great, especially as we're coming into winter. Well, we are down to the final question, Summer, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and expertise with us on Fulfilled today. Well, thank you, Jake. It's been a pleasure. What's your final piece of advice to inspire and fulfill fundraisers to make a positive impact and create change for a better world? Um, I think my final piece of advice um, is involve the community. Um, be community-centric. And that's not just in, um, you know, when it comes to fundraising, um, you know, who you seek to get contributions from, but think about the community at the onset um, of nonprofit programming, at the onset of the creation of nonprofit organizations. Um, think about um, you know, how um, whatever it is you're aiming to do is going to benefit them and what their opinion of it is. Um, I think that for much too long, um, there's been um, nonprofits have just moved into areas and decided what they're going to offer that community. Um, and then they're surprised when things don't work out the way they thought. Um, so I just think it's so important to be respectful of the communities we aim to serve. And to me, being respectful is inviting them to participate in the work that you're doing um, from a donor standpoint. And also uh, as a board member, um, the community needs to be involved and your work should be informed by the communities that you serve. So that's my advice. Summer Brock, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you.